Well, good morning. It's good to be with you here this morning. And um, I brought a few items with me on the back table. I want to mention a, a little bit about them. There's Cornerstone Magazine. How many get this magazine? I hope everyone in this room, I see only two hands up, uh, maybe a few more hands up. But I hope everybody gets this magazine. It's a, a magazine about what's going on in the assemblies in North America, even Canada. So Tony Martin should, should uh, sign up for this too. And uh, it uh, has articles about reports, about what's going on in different places. We've got one article, uh, report article about Vancouver and uh, also North America and workers and various articles on, on different things. Announcements of conferences and that kind of thing. We also have an announcement here. Uh, who knows what the 412 project is? The blog from uh, Esther Bosworth. So there's an announcement about that in here. How many know she has a blog for young people? Well, a few people know that. So, so anyway, there's some things like that. There's a sign-up sheet, and if you'd like to receive this mail to your home, just sign up for the sheet that's back there. There's some books back there as well. Feel free to look at them if you're interested in them. You can come see me. My wife is with me this morning. I think I've been here, I don't know how many times, but she's never, as we were driving here, she said, this is the first time I've ever been to Boulevard. I thought that was amazing because, uh, but that's probably true. Uh, and uh, so give her a warm welcome and talk to her afterwards. And that's that'll be wonderful. Well, let's take our Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 3. And what we want to look at this morning is a little bit of an introduction, a little bit of overview on the church. And really the question we want to look at this morning is, is the church or why is the church important? Why is it important? Uh, Malcolm mentioned about many churches. Uh, why is it important? Uh, is it more than just a place that you go to? It's not a social club. It's not just a gathering place. It's not just a place where you get married and when you pass away there's a funeral. There's much more to the church. And we want to think about that this morning. And I hope it's a real challenge to you. And I hope that after we have our time together, you might be challenged to study more in the Word of God. And uh, there are many great books on the church. And the assembly here is going through a series on it. So uh, I just trust this will be a, a kind of a good introduction for you. Let's take your Bibles and turn to uh, chapter 3 of Ephesians and look with me at verse 8. Verse 8. I'll begin with uh, verse 7. Of which I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effectual working of his power. Unto me who am, least, uh, uh, who am less than least of all the saints... This grace is given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. The Apostle Paul was given two aspects of his ministry. One was to preach the, the unsearchable riches of Christ uh, to the Gentiles, to preach the gospel throughout the world. But, you know, it says something else in this passage, that he was also given a second ministry. And I wonder if we, uh, if we exercise this ministry in the evangelical church today. But he says the second part of his ministry is, verse 9, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. And that is a phrase which speaks about the church, the fellowship of the mystery of the church, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, was created all things by Jesus Christ. 
He said, one of Paul's ministries, and I think it's one of our ministries, is to make all men see and make as many people here in this local assembly see the wonders and the importance of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Uh, the church was important to the Lord Jesus Christ. The church should be important to us. And then it says this in verse 10 and 11. To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known that, uh, by the church or through the church the manifold wisdom of God. And then it says this about the church in verse 11. According to his eternal purpose. Purpose of the ages some translations say, according to the purpose of the ages, which was purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. The church is his purpose of the ages. So we should understand a little bit about the church. What does the Bible say about it? And uh, I think uh, one of the first things I want to think about with you is this, this verse. As to the Lord, his way is perfect. Uh, we're going to look in the New Testament. We're going to look at what the church is. We're going to look at some principles of the church. And uh, we're going to come back to this over and over again. Uh, we want to do what God wants us to do. When we get to heaven one day, I don't want the Lord to say to me, why did you do that thing? Why did you behave yourself in that way? Why did you get involved in that kind of thing? That wasn't my purpose. That wasn't my, what I wanted you to do. And I want to say, I did what I did because I found it in the word of God. And I feel, and I would say, because your way is perfect. Your way is what you want us to do. And so I hope as we look at this passage that we are looking at what God wants us to do. His perfect will for us. It says in this verse here, as to God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proved and tested. He is a shield to them. Now, trust him. Now, why is the church important? Some, uh, some statistics about what's going on in the church today. And these are not encouraging statistics. Um, let's look at a couple of them. There's 275 different denominations, basic denominations in the United States and North America or the world today. The average age of an evangelical believer is 55 years old. 60,000 Believers attend Bible college or seminary on an average in most years. 11% read the Bible every day. I hope it's a higher, higher percentage here at Boulevard Bible Chapel. 5% will lead someone to the Lord, I don't have the whole quote here, in their lifetime. In their lifetime. 90% of churches are about 200, uh, 200 members or less. 70% are 75 persons or less. And one researcher, one researcher believes that 20,000 churches will close in the next 10 years. Why is the church important? I believe, as we'll look at it this morning, that if we follow God's principles, God's plans, God's ways will not, will succeed and be blessed. And the more we follow what God says, I think the more we'll see, uh, see blessing and fruit. 
James McDonald has a ministry called Walking in the Word, and there's also a ministry called the Francis Schaeffer Institute. They do researching. They do, they do studies on the evangelical church, trends within the evangelical church. And they have come to see that since 1950, in 1950 there were 375,000 churches in North America. In 2015... There are 250,000 churches. In 1915, there was 500,000 churches in North America. In 100 years, we have gone down in one half. They believe that of those 80% of those 250,000 or or 200,000 are stagnant or dying. 4,000 churches close their doors every year. The good news is, I don't have it on the, on the overhead, but there are 4,000 new church starts in North America, new church planting starts, but many of those do not succeed. Many of them do. 3,500 3, people decide not to continue in their church attendance every day. And of the 46,000 Southern Baptist churches, they baptize. 80% see zero or one person baptized per year. Not very good statistics, and I wonder if we're doing something wrong. Why is that? Why is it in North America? And I would suggest what we have in North America is different than everywhere else in the world. I think everywhere else in the world, for the most part, They follow what we might call New Testament church principles. You go to Africa or you go to Asia, uh, you go to uh, China and Russia, the Arab world, the communist world, Islamic countries, and for the most part they are following New Testament principles and they're smaller churches. Now some people say, well, what what about all those pastors that are going to seminaries? You know, maybe we can look to the seminaries and the Bible colleges to bring in a new crop, a new army of workers and laborers, and they can do the job for us. Now, it's interesting. This, this, uh, this chart is from 1995 and 96, the school year in 1995-1996. This is the amount of students that were enrolled in these seminaries. Fuller Seminary, one of the largest, 2,340 the second one, Southwestern, 2,268. Trinity, 1,333. New Orleans Baptist Seminary, 1,310. 2015 and 2016, Fuller, from 2340, 1542. A big drop. The second largest in 1996, Southwestern, 1,400 from 2268. Trinity Evangelical from 1,332. Where's Trinity? Somewhere on the list. 755. The trend is going down in North America. This is an interesting chart. These different colors, one shows a decreasing evangelical population in the world. The Scandinavian countries, Finland and Sweden, uh, are showing a decrease. 
I think that is, I'm not, I don't know my world map very well, but I think that's Korea, way over to the end, over there. A few other countries show red down here. I'm not even sure what that, that's Australia. I'm not sure what that area is there. They're showing decreasing evangelical population. Blue is showing a church growth faster than population growth. And yellow, evangelical growth slower than population growth. Most of the world is seeing growth faster, evangelical conversion growth faster than the birth rate. That's good. Most of Africa, Niger, Zimbabwe, a few other countries, Turkey, but China and Russia and much of Africa, all of Mexico, uh, South America, all are seeing faster evangelical growth than birth rate. Some are not seeing it. Countries here, here, here. But do you see this big country there, this big continent, this big two countries <laughs> right here? Look at that. De- evangelical growth slower than population growth. Now, how is that possible? How is it possible we have more bookstores and more radio stations and more Bible colleges and more money and more churches, and yet we are decreasing slower than the birth rate in the United States? Florida, slower than the conversion rate is slower than the birth rate. How is it possible with all the resources we have that we are not seeing, that we're not like Mexico, we're not like Greenland, we're not like, like France and, and, and Spain. How is it possible that with all our resources, we're seeing a decrease? I want to suggest there may be many reasons. I think one of the reasons is we're not following New Testament principles. These countries are. These countries have smaller churches by and large, and they're meeting with elders, and they're using their spiritual gifts, and there's times of worship. They're not large organizations with a, a team of pastors doing all the work. Everyone's involved in the work of the Lord. And we're going to look at some of these principles, but I think most of, the, most of the world is following New Testament principles, getting more and more people involved in the work of the Lord, and that's why they're prospering. In North America, we have less and less people involved in the work of the Lord, and we have more, more uh, professional people involved in serving the Lord, those who go to Bible college, those who are pastors, those who are assistant pastors. And many people are not. Many people are sitting in pews, but not involved in the work of the Lord. And I think that's why North America is in the position they're in. And the only way to change that is to get back to New Testament principles. I believe that is the way that's working all over the world but it's not being done in North America. There's 318 million people in the the United States. There's 7.4 billion people in the world. There's 19.9 million people in in Florida. In the winter months, it probably goes up to a little higher uh, number. 3,500 churches or, or so. Uh, a little bit less maybe, in the United States. 25 million Christians that said to be in the United States or North America. But the question is this. Can professional workers, Bible school trained workers, those who are ordained and get a degree, can they 
do the job of reaching the world for Christ? Can they do the job of reaching Florida for Christ? Can they do the job of reaching Tampa where I live or the Miami area where you live? Can they do the, they cannot do the job. That system I don't think is effective in doing the work of the Lord, what God wants us to do. So it's very important we go back and look in the word of God to see what does the Bible say about how the church should operate. It didn't happen this way in the early church. It didn't happen this way, what we've been seeing on these charts. This wasn't the case in the book of Acts. This wasn't the case in the early church. And today it's not the case for most of the world. And I would say we need to get back to this and get back to the word of God and the principles we see in the word of God. I came across this picture uh, on the Internet. Uh, there was a man, if I understand the story right, there was a man named Mike Smith. He was the pastor. And there was a pastor's parking space at his church. And every Sunday he would come. It was probably near to the church, probably the closest parking spot to the church door. And he would come and somebody would park in his parking space. And he was getting upset about this. So he thought and he thought, what could I do? What could I do to make sure no one parks in my parking space? And he thought about it and he thought about it and he came up with this sign. Park here, you preach on Sunday. You know what happened? That parking spot was always empty. No one ever parked in that spot. Now, that's not the way it should be, right? That's not the way it should be. Now, if Malcolm or the elders here, if they have a spot, you preach here, there'll be a lot of people. If you put that sign up, park here, you preach on Sunday, you might have people parking in that spot because you would have more and more people who would be very equipped and able to preach on a Sunday. But when you have a situation that nobody else parks there, that's not a good thing. That's not a good thing. It's not a New Testament principle. It's not the way the church should operate. Acts chapter 13, verse 1. This is the pattern. This is the model. This is what we strive for. Now, there were at Antioch in the church, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, and Saul. Five different men. Two of them went off to the mission field were called by the Spirit of God to go, and that was Saul, and that was Barnabas. And the Lord, I'm sure, raised up others to fill in their area, and there were probably more than those that mentioned. They were the major teachers in that area, and that's what we should have. We should have within the local church 85, what I would, I, I, I would suggest, 85% of all your ministry, Wednesday, Sunday morning, by men, elders, leaders, Bible teachers within your own congregation, 85% of every Sunday, every Wednesday, would be people within the local church. It could be less than that. But the majority is done by these men. They didn't have people coming from outside. They couldn't call anyone on the telephone and say, come and minister the word of God this Sunday. They had to do the work of the Lord. And that's why it prospered. Every one of those New Testament assemblies we find in the Bible, they did the same thing. They had teachers and prophets and Bible teachers, and they ministered the word of God. They mentored others. They raised up. They discipled others to do the work of the Lord. There was no, there was no concept of one person doing all the ministry in a local assembly. I think the Lord knew we needed as many people involved in the work of the Lord. 
I think we need a revival of thinking uh, about the church. Does the New Testament church teach fewer, a few larger churches or many smaller churches? Are large churches more effective than smaller ones? Does God want a few gifted trained leaders or many gifted trained leaders? Are Bible colleges and seminaries the only way to train leaders? Let me ask you, what is more effective? Uh, one church of 1,000 people or 10 churches of 100 people? You know, we, it's said over and over again that uh, 10% of people in a local church, no matter what size it is, they do 90% of the work. you got a church of 1,000. How many people do you think are actively engaged in one way or another serving the Lord? Many people are sitting in a pew not really engaged in very many things. So there are, be, there are some exceptions, no doubt. But if you had 10 churches, 100, how many people do you think in those 10 churches would be involved in teaching and preaching and service and labor and evangelism and all the works of a local church, I guarantee you the number is much higher in those 10 churches of 100 than the church of 1,000. I think it's more efficient and more effective to have many smaller churches where many people are involved in the work of the ministry. That's what the New Testament teaches. That is the goal, I think, gaining as many people involved in the work of the Lord. Revival of thinking about the New Testament church. New Testament principles, I think, do these four things. Accomplish these very valuable four things. They stir spiritual participation and spiritual thinking. When you are involved and you hear a message and you are someone who participates at the Lord's Supper. You're someone who participates in preaching the Word of God. You're someone who teaches Sunday school. You're someone who speaks Wednesday night. You hear a good message. It stirs your thinking. You begin to take notes and write them down. You say, I'm going to remember that and remember that and remember that because maybe someday I'll use that. Maybe some, someday I can use that in a message. Or maybe that verse I can use in a message and I could build a whole message over that one text or over that one passage. It stirs spiritual thinking. You begin to think about what the Word of God says and how I can apply the Word of God into my life, into my local setting, in my local church. Smaller churches where there's much participation stirs spiritual participation. Young men look at other young men, younger men, 13, 14, 15, look at those who are in their 20s, look at those that are even older, they see them doing the work of the Lord, and they say to themselves, this is what I want to do. If I want to serve the, do if I want to serve the Lord, I want to do what those men are doing. And they begin to emulate that and model themselves after that. Spur spiritual thinking in a New Testament, smaller New Testament church. It tends to keep the Lord Jesus Christ central. That's one of the most important things we can do. A number of years ago, a brother came to our assembly. He came from a larger church. And one of the first things he said to me, which I thought was interesting, I didn't know, you know, the different thoughts that were going through his mind. But he said, you know, the church I came from, the Lord Jesus Christ was vague and was a blur. We had a lot of activities, 
a lot of things we could do. Sunday morning we talked about building funds and new additions and new things the church was going to do, but the Lord Jesus was not clear. He wasn't central. He wasn't foremost. He wasn't exalted. We talked about him. We sang about him, but we didn't have a clear concept of who the Lord Jesus Christ was. And he said, you know, when we came here, he said, the Lord Jesus Christ is clear. You talk about him, you know who you're talking about. You know who he is. You know what he accomplished on the cross of Calvary. You know about salvation. You know about the Father. You know about the Holy Spirit. That was a great compliment. That was a great thing. I think that's true. When you come to a New Testament church, the Lord Jesus Christ is central. All that we do revolves around the Lord Jesus Christ. New Testament principles demand inward reality and a practice. You can't function within a New Testament church without having a true relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't worship. You can't rise at the Lord's Supper. You can't minister the word of God unless there's inward reality in your life. And so it's such an important thing to have that inward reality. You can sit in a a local church, a large mega church, and not have any inward reality. And no one's going to ask you a single question about it. But if you're in a, a smaller New Testament church... You need to have inward reality. You can't stand up and pray. You can't worship at the Lord's Supper. You can't minister the word of God. There's so, so, so little you can do because it takes inward reality of knowing the Lord Jesus Christ and living that out in your life. And when that is true in a local church, it's the best place on the earth to be. To see brothers and sisters and rising and ministering and talking about the Lord and talking about the scriptures and wanting to do more for the Lord and wanting to see more of the Lord working in their lives. This is what the New Testament church is really all about. There tends to be more focus on worship and prayer and evangelism and unity and fellowship. And these are all wonderful things to have in the local church. What are some of the things that are in the local church? Well, before we get there, let's... Um, Let's look at a quotation from Francis Schaeffer. Some people say that the New Testament just describes what the local church should be. It's not, it's not prescribing. It's just describing churches. And now in our generation, in every different century, you can have different types of churches. And it doesn't matter what the principles are that we find in the Word of God. Every generation needs to find their own principles. These are only descriptions we find in the Word of God. I love this quotation, and, and, and uh, turn with me over to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 4 for a minute. But Francis Schaeffer, the founder of Labrie, um, a ministry in Switzerland, the church did not sit there as a group of believers with no form. The New Testament form is commanded by God. These forms are not arbitrary. They are God's form for the institutional organized church and are to be present in the 20th century as well as any century. Look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 17. We have in the New Testament teaching and instructions about elders and about finances and about missionaries and about uh, the calling of God and the commendation of missionaries, uh, about worship and the Lord's Supper and elders and deacons 
And many of these things we find in the word of God. Notice what it says in verse 17. 1 Corinthians 4.17, For this cause I have sent unto you Timothy, who is my beloved son and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways, which are in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. He had a body of teaching that he taught to Timothy, and he taught to Titus, and he taught to all the workers that he worked with, and they went to other places, and they taught the same thing. And where Paul went... And when he started new churches, when we read the book of Acts, we find at least 18, new, 18 churches that the Apostle Paul was involved in, either, direct, either directly or indirectly. And he said, in every one of those churches, I teach these principles and these doctrines, and I train others to teach these principles and these doctrines. So what are some of those things? We'll look at 16 of them very quickly, 16 of these principles. Malcolm mentioned a blueprint. I think there's a blueprint. There is a pattern. In the Old Testament, the tabernacle had a pattern. Uh, the Ark of Noah had a pattern. The family has a pattern. We see patterns all through the Bible. And when we come to the church, we would never expect that God would not have a pattern or a blueprint for something that he loved and gave himself for. So what are some of those patterns? The, pl- the plurality of elders, multiple elders, giving leadership in a local church. What would happen happen in a New Testament church if one elder drifted off into false teaching? Now, what would happen in a, 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 a traditional church? The pastor drifted off into false teaching. Who would correct that pastor? Who would tell that pastor, you are teaching wrong doctrine? Probably no one. They might call denominational headquarters, and they might send someone down to correct it. But no one at that church would do it. And it may, it may lead to many people leaving that church because of teaching false doctrine. What would happen if one elder drifted into false teaching in a local church? The other elders would correct him. Or other Bible teachers who are not even elders, they may go, and they may begin to correct that situation. Maybe he wasn't doing it purposely. Maybe he wasn't understanding some aspect of of Scripture, but the others can come and correct. Those who minister the Word of God, the elders and others who minister the Word of God, they have a variety of ministry. What a blessing it is to have different emphases in different men within a local church. With one man, his emphasis is many times in one or two or three areas. When you have six and seven men and three or four elders who are ministering the Word of God, you're your content and your emphasis of gift is much broader. Some can speak about pastoral aspects. Some can speak about science. Some can preach the gospel. Some can preach about doctrinal issues. There's a broad uh, uh, scope of all the teaching that goes on in the local assembly. If I hear anything from, a, of, from people, they say, I love the assemblies because we get such a wide and broad and deep scope of Bible teaching in our assemblies. So a multitude of elders are very important. Weekly Lord's Supper is a very important thing, a time to come together where we exalt and lift lift high the Lord Jesus Christ. We worship him. That's one of the great privileges of the New Testament church. Priesthood of all believers. We have the privilege of coming. We talked about it today, coming into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ 
and to be able to exercise our spiritual priesthood, to be able to worship him, lift him high, glorify the Lord Jesus Christ, the priesthood of all believers, the training and mentoring of believers for service. Turn with me over to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4. One of the roles of the New Testament church, one of the purposes of the New Testament church is to raise up an army of gifted, skilled, trained, discipled, equipped men and women to do the work of the ministry, to see them go to the mission field, to go off and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. I've been encouraged in our assembly of a brother that's in Africa today. He's in Tanzania. He was a pharmacist with us for some time. And, and uh, one day as I was fellowship with him, he said, you know, I'm going to retire from being a pharmacist. He was 54 years old. And I said to him, Brian, what are you going to do? He said, I'm going to go to Africa and I'm going to start orphanages. That's not the ordinary thing that you hear from someone retiring. And I said, are you going to raise money? How are you going to do it? He said, I'm going to use my own money. You can, you can, you can, uh, you can run a, a, a orphanage, provide the food, materials, educational materials, spiritual materials, a, a orphanage farm for $2,000 a month. That's what he's doing now. He's been there since last summer. Very encouraging to see people get discipled and mentored and go off and decide to, to serve the Lord, see the call of God in their lives, and want to use their lives for the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at chapter 4 in verse 11 and 12 in Ephesians. He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and some teachers. These gifts he gave to the, the body of Christ, and one of the roles they are to have is they are to disciple, they are to mentor, they are to build up, they are to equip the body of Christ Verse 12, for the perfecting of the saints to do the work of the ministry, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. The work of elders, the work of gifted men within a local church is to disciple others, to train others. And elders' greatest joy should be uh, to see somebody that he's discipled, someone he's invested time into, to see them get up and preach the word of God, see them lead someone to the Lord Jesus Christ, see them go out and disciple somebody else for the Lord Jesus Christ, investing their time in other people, and then those men investing their time in others to see God raise up an army, many, many people within a local church, and some that move on and may start another work or move to another location and begin to serve the Lord in that area. That is the goal that we have. That's what God wants us to do. That's what we see in verse 12. These gifts of an evangelist or a pastor or a teacher is for the equipping or the perfecting of believers for the work of the ministry. We need to do that more and more. I need to do more of that. But we as local churches, this is what the New Testament church teaches. Turn with me over to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Look what Paul did in chapter 20 and verse 4. Paul is ministering. He's moving from place to place. And we find some of the people that he took with him. Now, why did he take these people with him? I want to suggest he took these men with him to train them 
and give them hands-on experience in serving the Lord and evangelizing and learning more about the scriptures, learning how to preach, learning how to teach, learning how to handle problems. Look what it says in verse 4. And there accompanied him Sopater of Berea, of the Thessalonians Aristarchus and Secundus and Gaius and Timothy and Tychius and Trophimus. And Paul traveled with, with 10 or 15 different men at different times. And he did this to train them and to equip them and give them the opportunity to be gifted men in the Lord. And then he would send them to certain places. He would send Titus to Crete and Timothy to Ephesus. And Apollos, he would encourage to go to different places. He would train these men. He would, he would invest in them, and then he would send them out, or the Lord may lead them to other areas. This is what we need to do. This is the training of the New Testament church. Not everyone can go to Bible college. Not everyone can go to seminary. And I'm not saying you can't go to seminary or Bible college, but they cannot do the full job of training men and women to be servants and active within the New Testament church. Committed to evangelism. The spiritual disciplines of reverence and faith and love for Christ, spiritual vision and humility and simplicity, all of these things are part of being a part of the New Testament church. Christ, the center of the church, gifted teaching and preaching of the word of God in the local church, to declare the whole counsel of God, to see God raise up, to see God raise up a number of gifted men to minister the word of God. I'm encouraged to see the the men in Florida and different areas who are able to come, young men who are able to come and minister the word of God in a very able way, in a very good way. A lot of the men that we ask to come in our area, they are younger men. They're in their 20s, maybe 30s, uh, from the Orlando, our, our general area. And it's tremendous to see God raise up younger, what I would call younger men, to do this kind of work. A gifted and effective teaching of the word of God. No denominational headquarters. Turn with me over to Matthew chapter 18. You know, we don't see anywhere in the New Testament denominational headquarters. The highest authority in this church is the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a problem, but you don't go to headquarters. There are no headquarters. Matthew chapter 18, it speaks about someone who has a problem within a local church. Someone has a trespass against them. A brother goes to that brother. If that brother hears him, it says he's gained a brother. If he doesn't hear him, bring someone else with him. And they go with two or three there. Every witness might be established. And then it says... Bring it to the church. Bring it to the elders. If he doesn't hear the church, there's no higher authority or appeal in the local New Testament church. He doesn't hear them. He doesn't hear the head and the elders and the church. Then he said he's put out of fellowship. Because there's no, we don't call denominational headquarters to say, you come over here and help us. One reason for that, I think, is they don't know the depth and the scope of the issue. One person coming in from another part of the country to your situation, they don't know the whole situation. You've labored with them. You know their history. You know their background. 
the highest authority we have is the Lord Jesus Christ. The commitment to discipleship, commitment to prayer, the principle of ever seeking to start new local churches. You know, it's amazing to see new local assemblies started over and over again throughout North America. A number of believers who love the Lord go off somewhere and they decide to get together and begin to meet in a house or meet in a rented store or hive off from another assembly. When you go to the book of Acts, you see this over and over again. Ever seeking, Paul, ever seeking to start new local assemblies. The direction of the Holy Spirit for workers. Turn with me just for a minute. I know our time is beginning to go. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 12. Paul would guide and direct. He would invest and he would disciple. But workers and assemblies are under the leadership and the direction of the Holy Spirit. God is directing us. God is directing workers. I love what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 12. The Apostle Paul writes, and he's talking about different workers in different places and where he's going to travel to. And how Timothy is going to come to to Corinth. But then he says in verse 12, As touching our brother Apollos, I greatly desired him to come unto you with the brethren. I encouraged him. I desired. I asked him to go with the brethren to where you are. But the Spirit of God did not lead him that way. says in verse 12, But his will was not at all to come at this time, but he will come when he has a convenient time. I think the Spirit of God was leading him differently. You imagine the Apostle Paul, the the great leader of the New Testament churches, asking someone to go somewhere, and he says, I don't think the Spirit of God is leading me that way. And so he says, I'll do it when the Spirit of God leads in that direction. The principle is guidance and direction from the Spirit of God. That's what elders do. That's what leaders do in a local church, looking to the Spirit of God to lead them, not doing something another church does. I was reading in the writings of Lewis Berry Schaefer, and he said about the will of God, he said, the, he said, God will not probably in his will lead two people the exact same way. I think that's true. Situations are very, very different in every life. And he said the Spirit of God might not lead a single person exactly the same way twice. We look to the Spirit of God for direction in every situation. Hospitality, finances, reception. I want to close with this question. Does it work? Do New Testament principles work? I think they work in every place they have been tried. You go to Africa, the majority of churches in Africa are small New Testament churches with Bible teachers within, not gone to seminary, not gone to Bible college, have not been ordained. They've been, they have been ordained mostly by the Spirit of God and by Christ himself, and they labor in those areas. And they gather together people, and they begin to function, and they very often have Lord the Lord's Supper, and they, they build up the church, and in places of... of um, Persecution, if, if, a, if a leader is taken, someone else fills in their space, their place. The Islamic bloc countries, communist bloc countries. In India, many New Testament churches. And I want to close with this. 
do New Testament church uh, principles work? I want to talk about China. I was reading in uh, Israel My Glory magazine about five months ago. They talked about China. They talked about the first missionaries that went there, Robert Morrison and Hudson Taylor in the 1800s. And then about 1900, all the missionaries, in 1900 there were about 2,500 missionaries in China. The Boxer Rebellion came and all of them were, were sent out of the country. No missionaries. And Christianity was outlawed. Slowly, Christians were allowed back in the country. Missionaries were allowed back in the country. And in about 1950, under, under Chairman Mao, Mao Zedong, again, Christianity was outlawed. And no Christians, no, no, no missionaries or Christian leaders could be in the country. There was severe persecution in the 1950s. From the 1950s to 2015, there are now today in China 163 million believers. Isn't that incredible? Church Christianity is still outlawed. Missionaries are still outlawed. How did that happen? How did 163 million Christians come to the Lord in China under those conditions? Through small New Testament-type churches, house churches, smaller churches. 12.7% of the, the population of all of China are Christians. Little Flock Assemblies, those started by Watchman Nee in 1950 when he was put in prison, <clears throat> there were about 4,000 4, believers, about 100 uh, assemblies. If you go to Operation World, that's a handbook of what the Lord's doing in missions throughout the world. They will say today, those little flock churches, there are 43,000 little flock New Testament assemblies and over 20 million believers associated with those assemblies. How did that happen? I think it happened because, because those believers met together and formed assemblies according to the New Testament, and God blessed it. I think in North America we need to do more of this kind of thing, to get back to New Testament assemblies, get more people involved in worship, in mentoring, in discipleship, raising up leaders, raising up Bible teachers, raising up those who get involved in the work of the Lord. Let's close in a word of prayer. Our God and Father, we thank you for our time together. We would pray, Father, that you would lead us, each one here, that we would seek to be more involved. We would seek to be more involved in the work of the Lord. We would seek to grow. We would, we would seek to uh, seek someone out who can mentor us, who can disciple us. That we would seek out and have spiritual vision and see what you want us to do in this area. And so, Father, we pray that you would lead us and guide us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.